tempted not to start at my notes, so let's carry on. Um, I really just had a sense for this morning, the, it's imperative for all of us that we see him rightly and we continue to see him rightly. Because we start this journey of faith in him and, and we, we're hearing even now, it's a, we see in part, I'm giving you a small glimpse, I'm trying to explain him who's unexplainable, it'll take um, eternity for us to, to rightly see him. And we get a glimpse, a little glimpse of who he is. But we need to make sure that the glimpse that we do have, the little bit that we do have, that we see him rightly. Because when we see him rightly, we're going to walk rightly. And we're going to live rightly. And we're going to behold him. And we're going we're to humble ourselves. And we're going to find our right place within his kingdom, within his family. Um, brothers and sisters, part of this body. When we see him rightly and we see what the church is rightly to him, the price that he paid, if we see that rightly, then we live differently. If we see what the spirit, the, the, the gift of the spirit in Ezekiel, the, prophet, the, the prophecy is that he would take, he would remove the heart of stone that all of mankind is born with. And he'd give us a new heart. And he'd, and he'd give us the, a heart of flesh, something that is soft and malleable and yielding to him. He'd take out that heart of stone, he'd give us a heart of flesh, and then he'd give us a new spirit, a spirit that is now alive, that once was dead and in darkness and, and, and far from him and disconnected, uh, a spirit that was selfish and self-centered. And he gives us a new spirit that is now alive in Christ. And then he promises us the gift of the Holy Spirit, that he would be with us and he'd walk with us and he'd counsel us and he'd comfort us and he'd guide us and he'd shape us. And he'd reveal Jesus to us. And he'd convict, of, uh, he'd convict us of sin. All of these things prophesied before the coming of the king. And then when the king comes, we have to see him rightly for what he's done. The price that he's paid. The, the, the cost. So I've been reading um, the great book of Leviticus. Who here can recite Leviticus from verse 1? Chapter 1, verse 1. So, just you know, the Old Testament is, it was given to us, the, the, the events recorded through the Old Testament, Scripture, eyewitness accounts recorded for us to read thousands and thousands and thousands of years later, showing us what they saw, the eyewitness accounts of what they experienced. And we go back and we read it. We have to read it to see the New Testament in context and Jesus and grace in context. Because if we don't see him rightly, then we take grace and we twist it into how we want it to be. We shape the, an image of God, an idol of what we want him to. I can justify anything, any stance I want to take. If I want to divorce my wife because I fancy a new model, I can take scripture and like God wants me to be happy, you know. He's a, he's a God that loves me, and He covers over all sin. You know, I can take Scripture out of context, but when I look at the Old Testament, and I, and I read the bigness of who He was, the holiness, and His, his power, and His glory, and His might, then, then I, I walk very carefully with the grace that I have. And it is grace, and, and we're free. There is a freedom in it. But the, the, the wisdom starts with the fear of the Lord. 
fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And it is good for us in grace, in Him, to have a holy, healthy fear of who He is. That'll keep us on the right path, on the right track, day by day, walking faithfully on the path, on the narrow way that leads to life. And not distracted or disturbed or um, even deceived into thinking that there is a wide road that leads to life. So we're going to turn to Leviticus 16. Um, I'm going to put on my glasses and I'm going to read. Um, so the first verse is, Lord, the Lord spoke to Moses after the death of his two sons. After the death of the two sons of Aaron, sorry, who died when they approached the Lord. Okay, let's don't go, just keep it on verse 1. So context to that is, um, they've come out of Egypt. God has now set up a system whereby they can carefully come in and worship him. Carefully come in and serve him. But Aaron's two sons that were ordained as priests to serve and to minister to the Lord, they decide they think they can just do it anyway. So some of the commentaries say they might have been a bit intoxicated, so they just did it anyway. Um, or or they, f they just decided, God said we should do it like this, but we think maybe we can just do it like that. So what happens is they, they come... Um, it's in Leviticus 10. It says it is um, not unholy fire, strange fire. They bring a strange fire of incense to the Lord and not from the, the fire at, at the altar. Um, and fire comes out of the holy of holies and it burns them up. It destroys them. So we, we move on to chapter 16. <clears throat> Sorry, I'm going to find it so I can read in my Bible with my glasses. Then the Lord, okay, I'm going to start at verse 1 again. So the Lord spoke to Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron, who died when they approached the Lord. The Lord said to Moses, tell your brother Aaron not to come whenever he chooses into the most holy place behind the curtain in front of the atonement cover of an ark, or else he will die, because I appear in the cloud over the atonement cover. So there is a warning now. So Moses says, tell Aaron he's not just going to appear when he wants to come. His two sons have just died because they approached in a way that wasn't the right way. And tell Aaron he's not going to come whenever he wants to. I'm going to tell him when he can come, and only on that day can he come. Because why? Because the presence, because the power of God is there behind the curtain. So there is the veil now separating God, the holy of holy place, from the rest of the, the common folk. So the picture is, is now, now, they say that this area, the holy of holies behind the temple curtain, or the, the curtain of the tabernacle later the temple, um, the area behind the temple in the holy of holies was completely dark. The only light that was in there was the presence of the Lord on the Ark of the Covenant between the cherubim, between these two angels. There was the presence of the Lord that would light this room. So I, I just imagine going in there. Now we're priests. We're wanting to worship God. And I'm trying to paint a picture now to show you what Jesus has done, what we have now as priests of the living God sitting here. 
Are you not super excited that you weren't living as Aaron once a year? When only when God says he can and when he does it according to how God says that he can. So he says, tell Aaron he's not going to come whenever he chooses. Verse 3, this is how Aaron is to enter the sanctuary area. It says, with a young bull for the sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. He's to put on, now Aaron has to go through a whole lot of cleansing and ritual um, to, to, to not die, basically. So he puts on the sacred linen tunic with the linen undergarments next to his body. He is to tie the linen sash around himself and he's to put on the linen turban. These are sacred garments. So must, he must bathe himself or bath himself with water before he puts them on. So he's got to be clean and then he's got to put on these things. Verse 5, from the Israelite community, he's to take two male goats for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. And Aaron is to offer the bull for his own sin offering to make atonement for himself and his household. So before he can even get started for making an offering for Israel, he's got to make an atonement to cleanse himself of any sin. Or to, sorry, to pay for sin, his own sin. Verse 7, then he's to take two goats and present them before the Lord at the entrance to the tent of meeting. He's to cast lots for the two goats, one lot for the Lord and the other lot for the scapegoat. I'm not going to go into that. Verse 9, Aaron will bring the goat whose lot falls to the Lord and he'll sacrifice it for sin. But the goat chosen by Lot as the scapegoat will be presented alive before the Lord to be used for making atonement by sending it into the desert as a scapegoat. Touch that quickly. So two goats. One would pay the price for sin because sin needs to be paid for. And the other one would be set free and it would wander. Um, and we spoke about it earlier. As far as, your, as the east is from the west, so your sins will be separated from you. So there's a price to be paid. And then there's a separation. God remembers it no more. Verse 11. Aaron will bring the bull for his own sin offering to make atonement for himself and his household. And he's to slaughter the bull for his own sin. He's to take a censer full of burning coals from the altar before the Lord. Two handfuls of finely ground fragrant incense and take them behind the curtain. So now he goes behind the curtain with this fragrant uh, incense. He's to put the incense on the fire before the Lord, and the smoke of the incense will conceal the atonement cover above the testimony so that he will not die. He's to take some of the bull's blood. So, basically, Aaron has got to smoke the place out with this incense in the right way, and it's going to smoke the area so that he can't see the presence of God. Because if he sees the presence of God without this veil, he'll die. I don't know if you remember when Moses says, God, show me your glory. He said, well, I can't because if you see me, you're going to die. But what I'll let you do is I'll let you see my back. Verse 15, he shall then slaughter the goat for the sin offering of the people and take its blood behind the curtain to do with it as he did with the bull's blood. He will sprinkle it on the atonement cover. And in front of it, in this way, he will make atonement for the most holy place because of the uncleanness and rebellion of the Israelites, whatever their sins have been. So he's going to make and sprinkle this blood on the atonement seat. 
for the forgiveness of sins, for our uncleanness and our rebellion. And then you fast forward, two th- I don't know how many thousand years that that gap was, 2,000 years ago, um, and then Jesus appears. And I, and I read Leviticus and I think, Lord, j- just the glory and the, the bigness of who he is. Why? Why would you take on the nature of a man? Why would you do that? And then Jesus says, I came to serve. I came as a servant. Matthew. Sorry, I'll give it to you now. I should keep my glasses on. Mark 10, verse 43. <clears throat> Whoever wants to be, so this is the, the disciple saying, can we have the right hand and the left hand on your throne? You know, just this wrong concept of they want this place of uh, elevation, you know. And Jesus says, whoever wants to become great amongst you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be the slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And later on he says, the greatest must be the servant of all. That uh, that um, position of Jesus, that posture of Jesus, is the example for us to see him rightly. So we, we see the bigness of who he is in the heavenlies, in glory. And then when he takes the form of a man, he comes as, a, as one that is going to serve. Why? Why would he do that? If I was God, you know, you... you just think about if we had to decide how we were going to make a way back to the Father. You know, we're arriving in our royal robes in a palace and ruling and telling the guys, right, you, 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 you know. But th- the revelation that we have of him appearing as a man, of who he is and what his nature is like and his servant-heartedness and his love for mankind is an example for us as those that are coming and being born again into his family being adopted as children, sons and daughters, holy priests that are called now to serve him. That is the picture. So why did he come as a servant? To show us and to lead by example. This is what he's like, his nature's like. How do you get into the kingdom? Those that are poor in spirit will inherit the kingdom. What does poor in spirit mean? You're aware of your complete spiritual bankruptcy in relation to him, when you see him, you realize, I am but dust. But if you don't see him rightly, and we bring an unholy fire or a strange fire, we live a life that is just, if you, you, if you read on the internet, there's enough information and there's different versions of Jesus out there to, to create an idol for yourself. And, and there's no sacrifice, there's no servant, there's no serving. It becomes about me and my miracle and my blessing and my Porsche and my house. There's no fear, Nadine. So we have to see him rightly. We have to see the, the, why did he come as a servant? <clears throat> so... A great illustration 
not good for my 52-year-old aunt. Um, so, sorry, I, I also want to make this note. So, the the picture that I that I read through Leviticus of Aaron approaching behind the veil very carefully. You know, Jesus is now that veil has been torn. You know, the word says that when he gave up his spirit, his body was broken on the cross, and the 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 veil in the temple was torn from top to bottom, opening up that space, that holy of holies, to to us that believe through faith by grace. And that that picture of the him giving himself up so that we could freely, and the word says now we can confidently come, confidently and boldly in humility and in reverence to who he is. So there is a confidence we have as his children that he loves us and he's died for us and he's paid the price. He paid great price so that we could now come and enter into the Holy of Holies. And I want to encourage you with that thing. The, the, the price that he paid for that, for, for um, giving himself up, coming out of glory into, into time and space um, so that we could fi- have a way and find a way back to him and have a way into the Holy of Holies. The temple's been torn. We need to take advantage of that as a people. So in your quiet time, it's not just a, hey, I read a chapter, four verses, and I sang a, a song. Or That is not the same as presenting yourself um, before him and saying, Father, thank you that your son made a way and I can freely enter into your presence and linger in you because that's where he works in us. That's where you find grace. That's where you find faith. That's where you find healing and brokenness and, cur- and encouragement and courage to carry on. Be bold and courageous to keep walking this walk till the end, till you persevere. It is in that place where you'll find the grace. You know, if I'm just giving you words, it's not going to empower you. The Holy Spirit is going to empower you in the secret place. So that when we're preaching here in 40 years, or Jethro would be, because I'll be with the Lord. Um, when he's preaching in the nations in 40 years, it's because of the overflow from the secret place. Yes. <coughs> so... We read, you've all heard about Jesus washing the disciples' feet. What was going on there? So in the culture of the day, the, the, the lowest of the low slaves, like you've got a whole lot of servants and slaves, the youngest, most inexperienced, the one that is in our context would be cleaning toilets. What is, the, what is the lowest position you can have in our household? The toilet cleaner. The lowest of the low slaves would be the one that would wash the, the guest's feet. So if you came in, because there's no tarred roads, so it's all dusty, you've got sandals, um, and you're coming in, you arrive, the, the low slave comes, I think you probably sit down and they clean your feet, and then you, you know, it's kind of a, a welcoming and a gesture. But that thing was for the, for the lowest. So this symbolism of Jesus, he's about to be, give his life now for, for, for humanity. And he wants to show the example to his disciples of washing their feet. So Simon says, no, 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 you're not going to wash Simon Peter. You're not going to wash my feet. And he says, Simon, if you, don't, if you don't see this, then you can have no part in me. If you don't see what it is to serve and to become a slave, 
then you can have no part of me. And then he's like, okay, well, then wash my whole body. And he said, no, you're already clean. I just want to show you, I'm going to show you something here, Peter. Whoa, Peter. Um, so that symbolism of him coming as a, as, a, as a servant and washing our feet, it's like outlandish for them. This is the king of kings. They know he's the Messiah, the savior of the world. And there he is scrubbing their grubby feet. And then he, uh, before he cleans and he takes off his priestly robe, and he wraps a towel around himself like a slave. And, he, and you know, it's the same. It's the picture of him taking his um, robes of glory in heaven and coming down again to serve mankind for you and I. Can you give me Philippians 2, verse 1 to 8? <clears throat> Paul's writing to the church, and he says, Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Jesus, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, any comfort from His love, any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, verse 2, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose, of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. In humility, consider others better than yourselves. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. And in humility, consider others better than yourselves. In the church today, do we have this posture when we hear someone preaching, even a hard word, and you sit, do you consider that person better than yourselves when you think you could have done better? Like if, if I'm just talking nonsense here, you're going, mm, I could probably preach better than this guy. Do you consider me better than you? Me, when you guys are serving uh, and looking after the kids, do I consider you better than me? Your community leader, do you consider them better than you? Better than yourself. Thank you, Lord, for this gift. The community leaders, do you consider your people in your community better than you? God, thank you for these people that give up their lives, they give up their time in the day, their nights, their families. It's this posture, the posture of the Lord, that we consider each other better than ourselves. That is not of the world. That is God's way. Vain conceit is when we're in a meeting, and I'm talking in the context of church, when everyone has got a, an opinion, and you want your own agenda or your own opinion to be heard just for the sake of being heard. We, are, we all battle with that pride. But Jesus was like, we need to have complete humility. I think Paul writes to the Ephesians, be completely humble. How do you be completely humble? So humble is having a low view of yourself. Paul writes, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought to. That's humility. Is in, in context of who God is, who am I? That is humility. Okay, Father, when, when I arrive on that last day in glory and I stand before him and I give an account, I do not say, did you hear my eloquent preaching in Milneton that Sunday morning, Lord? I'll be, Lord Jesus, I thank you for mercy, and, and I come in just by your grace and under the blood of the Lamb. That is it. That is my, that's my, that's my entrance. I'm not presenting anything, God. My works are like filthy rags to you. I thank you for the sacrifice of your Son that I can freely come in now, God, as a gift. That is it. That is poor in spirit. I am spiritually bankrupt, God. I need a Savior. I need a Savior, God. 
I have no selfish ambition, God, and I have no vain conceit. Even in the kingdom, Lord, what am I? What am I? Without His Spirit, what am I? Selfish, full of pride. Not, not able to love well. Because I don't have His Spirit that gives me the, the ability to love sacrificially and to serve. The kingdom of priests. What did priests do? They served the Lord. Oh, that's the first one. Okay. Humility, meekness, lowliness, the absence of self means lowliness of mind, not thinking of yourself more highly than you ought to and seeing yourself rightly in the view of God's mercy. What is meekness? Power under control. So I have authority in the church as an elder, but I, I don't, in the kingdom, we don't lord it over people. I, you're volunteers. You owe me nothing. You owe the Lord, but you owe me nothing. But you voluntarily give your lives to serve us, with us. You don't serve me. You serve the Lord. That's meekness. So I have the, the ability to give an opinion. Um, and, I, and I share it, and I posture my opinion well. This is what I see. Can you help me? Am I seeing this rightly? This is what I see, this is what I see in you. Can you, can you help me rightly? So I'm not saying we just overlook everyone's, um, but we, we posture ourselves rightly when we're trying to encourage each other and grow each other and mature each other and, and help each other persevere. So meekness is power under control. Well, I'm, where we're mutually submitting to each other as unto the Lord. Even in the office, in your workplace, there is this godly attitude and godly posture that we must carry. Even in authority in the workplace. Patience and long-suffering. How do I react to others when they disappoint me or when, they, when my expectations are not met? Do I, does love cover over? Do I believe the best in them? When you don't think your leaders are greeting you properly or uh, not following up after you properly or didn't phone to see how you were or how your mother was, or do you look at them now through this grid of, oh, miserable leaders you God you know I would never do that you know we hypocrites where we see everyone through a different grid to how we see ourselves I see it on the road you know the taxi cuts you off and you're like ah and then I've just cut off someone else I'm like that was a mistake it was just an honest mistake and it's the same thing when we do these things it's it's fine for us but when someone else does it to us it's escalated and elevated a thousand times. Do you know who I am, what you just did to me? You know, you're not a good leader. I'm going to go find a church down the road. They use my gifts better than you. Yeah, I didn't get 50 likes. Um, so I'm going to land on this. No, I actually didn't finish reading that scripture, eh? Um, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, consider others better than yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but to the interests of others. Your attitude should be the same of Christ Jesus. Oh, Lord, help us. Your attitude should be the same as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, 
did not consider equality with God something to be grasped or used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. Lord, I don't know why you did that. I just, just, I want to cry when I read it. Um, Verse 8, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. That, you know, man, how he's created mankind and he's at the mercy now of mankind, just willfully is like, if I could, you know, if I wanted to, I could call 12 legions of angels. The Father would send them and we just destroy humanity right now. But willfully just offers his, chi- offers his beard for them to rip them. They spit it in and then they give them a crown of thorns. And just for the joy set before him, the joy of having us, the joy of saving a remnant, saving a holy, a holy priesthood that are going to come and minister to him and serve him. I read, I was reading a book by A.W. Toza, and I love his stuff. Thank you. <coughs> he says, speaking about holiness, holiness, for us to be holy. We're called, we're called to be holy. You know, we're a priest, a holy priesthood, a royal nation, a people belonging to him, a special possession, a treasure, his treasure, holy, set apart. Holy means to be set apart, something that is different from from the world. We're different. We're a different people. We're a light. We have His Spirit in us. We're different. Our nature is different. We're not the same when we get born again. We have a different relationship to the Father and a different relationship to each other and a different relationship to sin. We hate what is evil and we cling to what is good. Holiness is to be set apart. And Tozer says this, to be holy is to be set apart for the purposes of God. To be holy is to be set apart for the purposes of God. I'm not set apart for the purposes of my own life, for my own career, for my own bank balance, my retirement, for security. I'm not set apart for all of that. I'm set apart for His purposes. I'm, I'm set apart to serve Him like He served me. So how do I live my life now? What are the, how do I make my decisions? I'm set apart for the purposes of God. That means inside this church. What is the purpose of God inside this church? It is to bring in the lost and the broken and, and share the good news. That's the purpose. So what is the purpose of God in my workplace? That I treat the people well and I work as hard as I can. Is my purpose making as much money as I can? No, I'm being set aside for the purpose of God. If I'm blessed to be making money, it's for the purpose of God that I'll be blessed to be a blessing. And I'd have people in my house, and my house would be big enough to host community and church and dinners. And I've been set apart for the purposes of God. How, how am I set apart for the purpose of God in, as being a husband and a wife and, and, a, and a daughter or a son? Think about these things. God, what is your purpose in this? The purpose is not for a perfect life. The purpose is not for circumstance. And though he can give it to us. What I was saying to Krika early, earlier, his, his purpose is to shape the character of Christ in us. So if I have to go live in a, um, a one-bedroom flat somewhere and move out of my large home in Sunset Beach, if he wants to shape a humility in me so that I could reflect him better, 
then I'm like, God, you're doing something. I've lost everything and I'm here now. You've done something for the purposes of God. So we, we look at circumstance and we must see God in circumstance. Because he is fully in control of everything and we can trust him. And what's the worst thing that's going to happen? We're going to die. What's the worst? Starve to death and die a horrible death. That's, that's the worst. And I, and I don't believe he'll do that to any of, his, any of his people. I mean, it happened. But I'm like, Lord, even in that moment, you would protect them and you'd, you'd, you'd guard them so they wouldn't be like a terror. Even if there's terror for a second, there's eternity for eternity within his presence. So I'm like, cool, shoot me in the head. I don't know, whatever it is, I don't know how it's going to be. But I know in a twinkling of an eye, I'm in glory. And as I said, and I'm on my belly, like, Lord, am I in? <laughs> is, my <laughs> is, your, is your sacrifice enough? Did it cover over? No, I'm kidding. Um, so the purposes of God in everything that we do, even when we're serving here, what is the purpose? We want to teach the kids. We want to bless those that we, we want to share the good news with those that have never heard it. This, what we have, the privilege of knowing, the privilege of knowing truth and life, and He's come to give us life in abundance. What a privilege. Broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many are on it. Small is the gate, narrow is the way, and few find it. You sitting here is a gift. It is a miracle of the Lord. Me being born again, taken, taken out of drug, sex, and rock and roll, is a miracle of the Lord. It is a supernatural Him opening my eyes so that I could see Him and love Him. In a little bit of, in a little glimpse of who he is. It's good. <clears throat> okay, should I land? What's the time? Have I, have I used my words? Oh, it went, I went quite quick. It's only 20. <laughs> How many are sleeping? I'm going to put these two scriptures up. So, God's ways are not our ways. You know, we, we hold on to this life like this is it, but it's not it. I mean, we know that. This is, you, when you look around you, it's all just falling apart and it has gone to, gone to the dogs. Um, so God's ways are not our ways. And you know, I, I, I did a, a business deal many years ago and, and it, there was some hard parts to this deal and I was like, in the, the risk of losing everything that I'd saved over years and years. And I just want, you know, you want justice. Lord, just, I want justice, you know, because I've been wronged. Ah! And two prophetic words, Nick, you keep your heart. You keep your heart, I'm going to sort out the rest. Because it wasn't in, I couldn't do anything. I, my hands were tied. Nothing in my control. You know, I could kick and scream and shout, but actually I had no legal right to anything. I was just, okay, Lord. Nick, you keep your heart. Okay, God, ah, bless those that curse you and forgive those for a moment. And then I'm like, Lord, come on. <laughs> Bring fire, God. <laughs> but uh, And I read the scripture. I find the scripture in 1 Corinthians 6 verse 7. And, he's, and Paul speaks about, you know, why you've got lawsuits and things amongst you. And this, and this was a, with a believer, actually, the deal that I was doing. Um, and then he said, why would you go to a judge? You, you know, they're not even inside the church, and you're letting them rule in a case that is amongst believers. And then he says this, the very fact that you have lawsuits amongst you means you've been completely defeated already, 
Why not rather be wrong? Why not rather be cheated? I'm like, why not? I'll give you a million reasons why not. <laughs> but when I, when I see his nature and what he's like, he's like not interested in my, he's like, Nick, you keep your heart. You keep your heart. I'm like, I want to keep my money. <laughs> and then it's like, no, you'd rather be wronged, rather be cheated, rather just walk away. And then I'm like, I got to a place, I'm like, God, you know what, actually, I'd rather be wronged. Whatever it is, I'll leave it to you. And I will work on keeping my heart. So when I see that brother, I can, I'm like, I'm like okay, God, I can, love, I can love him if you help me love him. But I'm not going to hold a record of wrong. You know that when you have a beef against your brother in the church and you start doing this wide circle when you see them, like, <laughs> you know, like, hey, hey. As opposed to just go and make right and, um, you know, love each other. And then the last scripture, 1, 1 Peter 2, verse 18 to 21. This I found, like, also mind-blowing. Slaves... Submit yourselves to your masters with all respect, not only to those who are good to you and considerate, but also to those that are harsh. Slaves of Christ, we belong to another. We belong to another. You don't belong to yourself. Next verse. First, it is commendable if a man bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because he's conscious of God. It is commendable. The Lord thinks it's commendable if a slave is whipped unjustly and you bear under that suffering. You bear, you take it, you're like, Lord bless you, may I have another. It's, I don't mean it like that, but it's commendable if a man bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because he's conscious of God. And not only for slaves, but for us as well. Even in the church, if you bear up under unjust leadership or we make wrong decisions or we don't greet you properly or um, forget about your daughter's birthday or whatever there's a thousand things I will forget I mean even we're transitioning in our congregation and I know we've had relationship with people for so long but now I have new responsibility so those relationships they they just are not the same and then I'm wondering are these people offended because I just don't have the capacity now anymore that I used to have so is there an offense now that's creeping in? We have to guard the spirit of unity amongst us and not, and not think of ourselves more highly than we ought. If I don't greet you, so what? Then tell, then come and greet me and tell me that you're angry with me so we can kiss up and kiss and move on, you know? Is there more verses? How is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. This, you're a child of God if you can do this. Is the kingdom not upside down? His ways are not our ways. We're not like Him. So we don't make Him like us. We need to make ourselves like Him. Be holy like He is holy. Find His face. To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. Christ has left us an example. He came as the servant king, the servant creator, to serve us and sacrifice his life for us, die this horrific death at the end of his creation, and then lead an example, this unjust suffering, a completely innocent, him who knew no sin, 
knew no sin, became sin for us so that we could become righteous. It is a, it's a mind blow. Wrap your head around these things. When we walk in this thing out, we belong to someone else. We have a purpose that we're supposed to walk in. And we walk it out holy, in reverent fear, in wisdom, and in freedom, and in confidence, and boldly. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Let's stand.